0: Well, it's the Sunday after Christmas and the Sunday before New Year's. So it's time to start thinking about those New Year's resolutions, right? Wrong. At least for me, because I don't do New Year's resolutions anymore. Now, I usually approach New Year's resolutions with a fair amount of personal skepticism. It's not because... I'm not disciplined, it's not because I'm not committed, and it's not because I've never accomplished my New Year's resolutions. I have, to some extent. But, I must say that I failed more than I wish to admit when it comes to New Year's resolutions. And so once I recognized this pattern in my life, I decided that I would just let it go. And so I did. I just let it go. And so this week, I was home with the boys and I walked upstairs and I noticed that they were watching something that they hadn't watched before on TV. And they were all huddled around and it was WWF. And so here's my boys, and we have a lot of testosterone in our family. They're sitting there watching WWF, and I began to talk to them about how none of it's real and how it's just fake, and it's acting, and and so on. And they were watching that screen really, really well and and trying to figure all that out. And so once I had communicated that to them, I went back downstairs, and then I heard it. All the noise that comes to the floor in the two-story house where my boys were acting out WWF. And so I made one resolution this year. No broken bones in the layhouse. That's my New Year's resolution. And so with that in mind, every year as New Year's turns over, I must say that even though I don't do resolutions, the Lord reminds me of something every single year that I just can't let go. And that is my faith in Him. You see, when it comes to faith, I don't want to make a resolution. But rather, I want Jesus to create in me a faith revolution. You see, out of all the people who ever walked this earth, Jesus brought a revolution that changed the religious, the social, the economic, the political, the cultural, and the scientific realms and worlds forever. You see, no one in history has ever affected so many people and institutions than Jesus. And so when it comes to faith... It is Jesus who challenges us, stretches us, and grows us. And so what's the difference between a resolution and revolution? Well, resolution means simply to make a commitment. Now, I can make a commitment to a lot of things. But revolution means to make great change. And when it comes to making great change... That's a little bit different than making a commitment. And so when I think about New Year's resolutions, and as the years have gone by, I've come to realize that Jesus doesn't challenge me to faith resolutions. Instead, he challenged me and he calls me to a personal faith revolution. He calls me to change from my personal constitution, where resolutions come from, to his constitution, and walking with him in faith. That's where revolution comes from. And so when Jesus challenges me in this, it is always at the point of faith. And so today we're going to look at a passage of scripture that challenges us right there. It challenges us in the place of faith. It's a passage that shows us what personal faith looks like from the most unlikely person. In this passage of scripture today, we're going to see Jesus respond to a woman's faith who was the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time with the right kind of faith. It's a story within the context of Mark chapter 7 that shows us the kind of faith that pleases Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 7, as we begin to read verses 24 through 30. Verse 24 says, And from there he arose, and he went away to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demons out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs and he said to her because of this answer go your way the demon has gone out of your daughter and going back to her home she found the child lying on the bed the demon having departed Uh, Here in Mark chapter 7, we see Jesus respond to somebody that has great faith. And interestingly enough, he responds to the wrong person who came to him in the wrong place when he was trying to get away at the wrong time. And so you would think maybe that Jesus might just send this person away, but instead he responds to her great faith. Because her faith was the kind of faith that pleased him. And so Jesus responds to this wrong person, this Syrophoenician Gentile, in the wrong place, at the wrong time, because she has the right kind of faith. Now as we look at this passage today, I want us to take a look at the context of Mark a little bit. Because the gospel writers arrange stories in their gospels for specific reasons and to communicate specific points to us as the reader. And so I want us to catch up on the context a little bit. And if you'll remember, in Mark chapter 6, Jesus' growing ministry also is growing in rejection. Uh, Mark chapter 6, Jesus is rejected in his hometown in Nazareth. And then in Mark chapter 6, 14 through 29, King Herod, who has just beheaded John the Baptist, comes to find out about Jesus' growing ministry. And he begins to wonder if Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead. And so he begins to associate this Jesus with this ministry with this person, John the Baptist, whom he's just beheaded. Now, Mark goes on and he tells us about the faith of the disciples as Jesus feeds the 5,000 and they go out on a boat and he walks on water. We see in Mark Six thirty through 52 that these disciples were actually dull-minded individuals with meager faith and so it is within that context that we come to mark chapter 7 and mark's presentation of right faith or faith that pleases jesus in chapter 7 is an interesting one because he tells us that it is not from the religious leaders this faith that he's looking for it is not from his own disciples. And moreover, uh, this faith is not from anyone, even in Israel. Uh, Mark begins his presentation in right faith of right faith in chapter seven, Mark seven, one through thirteen, with an issue between the Pharisees and Jesus see, Jesus' his disciples had just been to the marketplace and it is there where you could come in contact with something unclean. And so Jesus' come, uh, Jesus's disciples come back from the marketplace and they begin to eat without washing themselves. And so the Pharisees begin to test Jesus over this issue. And Jesus tells us in 7, 1 through 13 that right faith is not about keeping tradition he says this because as the pharisees challenge him he comes back to them and he tells them this you are experts at setting aside the commandment of god in order to keep your tradition mark 7 9 Uh, you see back then they had the law of moses and, and they believed and rightly so that the law of moses was divinely given and divinely inspired Uh, But they also believed in something called the tradition of the elders. And it was the tradition of the elders that was also divinely inspired. And so as the Pharisees came to approach Jesus, they began to see on the one hand the law of Moses and on the other hand the tradition of the elders, and they saw them as one and the same. And so their command was to make offense about the law to create a multiplicity of other commands that would keep them out of harm's way as it related to keeping the law well. Evidently, they didn't do it very well because of what Jesus told them and called them. In Mark 7, verses 14 through 23, Jesus begins to expand on this issue. And here, Jesus tells us that faith is not about cleansing. It's not about what defiles you from the outside. You see, back then, remember, when they went to the marketplace, they could come into contact with something such as meat sacrificed to idols that might defile them. And so Jesus begins to expand on this issue to the disciples and the Pharisees. And he says this in Mark 7, 18 through 20. Do not understand that whatever goes into the man from the outside cannot defile him. Because it does not go into his heart. And he was saying, he goes on, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. You see, this Greek word for defile means common, it means profane, it means impure. It's the opposite of holy, it's the opposite of to be set apart. And so as Mark begins to tell us the story about Jesus teaching about defilement, he tells us that the Pharisees believed that you maintain your faith with God by being set apart continually, which means that you had to follow all these rules of engagement around defilement. Jesus goes on at the end of 14 through 23 as we kind of ramp up into our passage today and he gives them an example of how they're not following even their own tradition you see he says that the law of Moses says to honor your mother and father and back then honoring your mother and father might be mean something similar to what it does today that if your mom and dad are found struggling financially at the end of their life that as children we should do what we can to help them. We should do everything we can to help them. And back then it was an absolute obligation. And so what would happen is people would come to the altar and they would bring a gift. And so rather than giving the gift to their mom and dad to live on, uh, they would bring a small gift to the altar. And they would pronounce something called Corbin. Now, when they pronounced Corbin, what what that meant is that 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 gift and everything associated with that gift was given to God. And so they no longer had the obligation to give it to their parents. Uh, In modern day, it might mean something like having a fair amount of dividend-producing stock. And you decide, rather than help your parents out who need the money and are in a nursing home, what you decide to do is you decide to come and give the basis of the stock to the church and continue to use the dividends for yourself as long as you're living. And so what happens is you and the church get all your money and your parents get nothing. And Jesus looks at him and says, "Is that honoring?" Your mother and father?" And so it's within this context of this challenge of the pharisees it's in this context of jesus's words back to them that we find this story about true faith what mark is telling us in 7 1 through 13 is that faith is not about keeping tradition what he's telling us in 14 through 23 as we come into our passage is faith is not about a set of rules around defilement or cleansing. And one of the things he tells us in Mark 24, 30, which is our passage today, is that faith is not about status. Uh, You'll remember the Syrophoenician woman was a Gentile, the Bible tells us, and Mark tells us that she was a Gentile for a reason because he wants us to know that she had no association with Jesus nor the Jews. Uh, She was from Tyre, a wealthy city, that found itself in competition with Jerusalem and the cities of Israel over commerce. And in this passage, verses 24 through 30, Jesus comes and he begins to communicate to the Pharisees and to his disciples and us as disciples of Jesus now, 2,000 years later, that faith is not about who you are. She was the wrong person. A uh, faith is not about where you come from she came from the wrong place a faith is not even about when you come because she disrupted Jesus in his restful time but rather faith is how you come I've got boys in my house four of them and testosterone pumps in our house as you heard my story earlier about WWF and they eat These boys eat. And sometimes it's hard to keep food on the table because they always want more. And so we feed them dinner and sometimes after dinner we decide, well, we're going to have dessert tonight. And we make a cake or something like that and pie or something like that. And we put it out there and we say, boys, we're having dessert tonight. And they're like, yeah, yeah. And then these outrageous requests come. These crazy requests like, can I have ice cream too? And I'm sitting there going, really? I've just given you cake. And now you're asking for more. You're asking for ice cream too. And so why would I respond to anything like that with anything but... No, absolutely not. But yet there's times, there's times when there's cake on the table and ice cream in the freezer that my boys come and say, can we have ice cream too? And I say, yes, absolutely. Because it's not about the fact of them having ice cream. It's about how they approach me when they make the request. That matters. And so, in this passage of Scripture, one of the things we see is that just as when my son approaches me with a humble heart and a humble attitude, I tend to give him his requests more as an earthly father, in the very same way, when this woman approached Jesus humbly and with faith that came from her heart, that's exactly what Jesus did with this woman. He told her yes. And so Jesus responds then not to people who are from the right place or in the right time or have the right status. Jesus responds then to people whose faith comes from the heart. The Syrophoenician woman and Jesus' words, notice this saying in verse 27. This saying was a Jewish proverb it says, and he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now here, this Jewish proverb was a common saying back in the day, because the Jews had great disdain for Gentiles. And in this, you read it just as you think you read it. Here, the children equals Israel. And here, dogs equals Gentiles, And so in some way, we can't exactly get away from the fact that Jesus is saying could have been taken by this woman as a great insult. But yet somehow in this passage, the woman doesn't walk away dejected. Somehow in this passage, the woman doesn't walk away going, well. Somehow in this passage, the woman continues on with great faith though Jesus uses this saying. Jesus uses a diminutive form of dog describing pet dogs of the house. Now in those days, the Jews didn't have dogs in the house, but the Gentiles did. And so this woman being a Gentile would have associated a pet dog in her house. And what happened is when they ate, the men would come and eat first, the women would come and eat second, the children would come and eat last, and then they would allow the dogs to clean up the rest. And that was the way that this Syrophoenician woman associated Jesus' is saying. Here, oftentimes in the Greek, when the diminutive form of a word, i.e., in this case, little dog, is used, it applies or implies Affection. And so we, you might wonder that maybe the reason that the woman doesn't walk off from Jesus is because Jesus' use of the saying actually came with some level of affection. Now saying that, we can't deny that there's also some negative, negativity that came with the expression. But Jesus intends to take this well-known saying, and he takes this well-known saying of of negativity upon the Gentiles, this saying of the day, and he does it in order not to uh, diminish her as a person, but rather to talk about his ministry priorities, rather to communicate his ministry priorities: Jews first, and then Gentiles. And so Jesus wasn't saying here, I'll never be available to you, and I'm not interested in you. What Jesus was saying here is, I'm not available to you yet. Now let me ask you a question. Has Jesus ever said that to you? I know that he has me quite often. You know, sometimes I may find myself praying and praying for something and you fill in the blank based on your life and Jesus will come to me and say, not yet. I know maybe sometimes in my faith walk, I've been waiting for something and Jesus comes to me and says, not yet. Or maybe in your faith walk, you've been asking for something. And Jesus, quite frankly, has been saying to you, not yet. Jesus tested this woman with not yet. And she didn't walk away dejected and with offense. Sometimes my first inclination when Jesus tells me not yet is to walk away dejected and with offense. Why not, Lord? Why not? Like my boys sometimes walk away when I say no ice cream tonight. But yet this woman did not. Instead, notice how she responded in verse 28. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. She responded with a humble validation of her status. She accepts for a moment that she is unacceptable yet she does not cut herself off by thinking that she won't receive anything at all. She accepts Jesus's judgment about her status and who she is and rather bows as a beggar for grace. See her response turns the saying on its head and with great wit, this woman takes the saying and applies it to that which she was familiar with as a gentile she was familiar with those pet dogs in the house and so what she was saying to jesus when she replied was i know i'm not an israelite but i'm not asking that you treat me on the basis of my status i'm asking that you treat me on the basis of your mercy i know i'm the wrong person in the wrong place at the wrong time but i'm not asking for bread now I'm asking for crumbs on the basis of your mercy. The crumbs will be enough, Jesus, if you'll just let me feed. I know the analogy breaks down a little bit, but do you ever find yourself during the course of a year, do you ever find yourself like eating the same snack over and over again? Uh, you know, I do. And, and for 2014, it was the year of kettle corn. Does everybody know what kettle corn is? You, you know, the, the salty and the sweet. And I began to love that stuff uh, over this past year. I've, I've probably eaten a little bit too much of it. Uh, but I enjoy sitting down for a football game in my leather chair and, and, and opening a bag of, of kettle corn. And when I do, uh, the dogs come. I have three of them. And it's not the boys. The the dogs come and they sit out in front of me and I'm laying back in my chair and I'm watching football and I begin to eat my kettle corn and crunch on my kettle corn. I used to like cheddar, cheddar cheese corn, but it's too messy. So I I, I went to kettle corn and so I'm eating my kettle corn and, and inevitably I always drop a little bit and every time I drop some, those dogs, they just jump on it and they eat the kettle corn. And, and, and one time, one person will get it, or person, yeah, treat them like people. And, and one time, another dog will get it, and maybe the next time, another dog, some will get two, and maybe some will get three because they're quick. And, and so inevitably, I began to feel compassion on these dogs, and then I start playing this little game with them. And I get my popcorn, and I go, and I take the next one, and I go, for you, and a little for you, and a little for you, and a little for you. And a little for you. And inevitably my compassion for the dogs. Wells up within me. And I end up feeding them half the bag of my own kettle corn. Now let's think about this a minute. When I watch those dogs. They're at my lap. With incredible intensity. They've been fed that day. But they come with Anxious intensity. And they're ready to take whatever I'll give them at any point in time. And when I read this passage of Scripture, I have to ask myself do I approach Jesus with the kind of anxious intensity that says, feels, and believes that if all I had was a crumb from Jesus? A crumb would be enough. Now, maybe you're going to say, well, wait a minute. This passage doesn't apply to me. Because as a believer, I'm a child of God. And as that believer, Jesus doesn't intend for me to have crumbs. Am I really supposed to be coming to Jesus as a beggar? No, you're not. And praise God if you've trusted Christ that You are a child of God because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the bread of life and he feeds us. But this passage brings to the forefront something not about necessarily how we should beg, but rather this passage brings to the forefront the kind of faith that pleases Jesus you see, remember in the context, Jesus has just scathed Israel over tradition, over rules, over hypocritical faith. Jesus is dealing with dull-minded disciples and meager faith, and he's trying to show them and everyone around who will listen what true faith really looks like. We know that because Jesus' response didn't just shoo the lady off. In the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 15, verse 28, Jesus says, O woman, O woman, your faith is great. Be it done for you as you wish. Uh, Jesus commends this lady's faith. And so as we look at this passage, let's ask ourselves this morning, what are those qualities of faith that please Jesus because I don't think Jesus wants us to make faith commitments and faith resolutions. Rather, I, don't, I think Jesus wants us to get rid of our own constitution and to sign on to his constitution so that he can produce in us a kind of faith revolution, not faith resolution. Number one, the qualities of faith that please Jesus is faith that addresses Jesus as Lord. Notice what the woman says when she responds to Jesus. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord. She had just heard about this man. She was a Gentile who knew nothing other than the fact that Jesus is Lord. And the first thing she says is, Yes, Lord. Secondly, we see faith is faith that pleases Jesus because it approaches him out of humility. It embraces our own position. Uh, Notice she didn't argue with Jesus about the fact that he called her a little dog. She didn't argue with Jesus about the fact that she was second in line according to his ministry priority. She didn't argue with him about her status or position. Rather, she approaches Jesus accepting that. She embraced her position. And for you and me to please Jesus, I believe we need to embrace our position. Yes, as a child of God who can draw near to him, but sometimes as a sinner saved by grace. Who's in need of his mercy. A faith that seeks Jesus. Number three. On the basis of who he is. Not on the basis of who I am. On the basis of who he is. That is the one who's able to provide mercy. Because of the cross. You see sometimes we want to come to Jesus. And approach him based on who I am. Kind of like that publican who said Jesus I'm glad I'm not like that person fill in the blank on the kind of people you might think are unacceptable it's a human thing to compare ourselves and Jesus says you don't come to me on the basis of who you are you come to me on the basis of who I am the provider of mercy but lastly what we see is faith that pleases Jesus is faith That seeks God with perseverance when tested. Because sometimes Jesus just says to us, not yet. And yet this woman persevered. And she continued believing that if only she had a crumb, it would be enough to heal her daughter. And sometimes Jesus says to us, not yet. Are you going to persevere? Are you going to have the kind of faith that walks with Jesus in perseverance when tested because the reality is sometimes Jesus tests our faith. Well, maybe today, maybe today you're a person here at Wayside and maybe you've never approached Jesus in faith at all. You know, the same same things that apply to us as believers, apply to you as well. That when we come to faith, if we want to please Jesus, when we come to faith in him, one, we come to faith realizing who he is and addressing Jesus as Lord. Uh, Number two, we come to him out of humility, realizing who we are. That is a sinner who is in need of his mercy. Number three, we seek Jesus, based on the basis of who he is, the Christ of Calvary, who died on the cross for us and was raised from the dead. Not on the basis of what we bring and who we are. And finally, we seek God saying, Lord, Lord, I'm yours. Please forgive me of my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose from the dead. I'm trusting you today. If you've not done that, I invite you to do that today, but right now, even as we pray. And if you do that, I sure would like to know about that at the end of the service. You know, all those have, all of us have those places in our faith walk where Jesus challenges us and even tests us sometimes. And Jesus challenged this woman. And she rose to the challenge with great faith. Today, today I'm going to ask you in application, I'm going to ask you to do one thing, and just one. For 2015, I want you to do this. I want you to go to the Lord in prayer, and I want you to ask Jesus in prayer, in humility, I want you to ask him, to show you one thing just one where you need to grow in faith and when he does because he will when he does i want you to come to him with the kind of faith that this woman had and i want you to watch jesus start a new year's faith revolution in you amen let us pray Lord God, thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you that you just give us the opportunity to look at how the gospel writers present something. And it shows us a picture of faith from the most unexpected person that we or they would ever think it would be. Lord, thank you that we could come and see that today. As we think about our new year and our personal resolutions, Lord, I ask that you would build a revolution in us. That you would give us the strength and the passion to move away from our own constitution and move to your constitution and walk with you. Lord, show us in 2014, from 2014, where we need to place that faith in you. And help us to do that, Lord, with this kind of faith in 2015. It's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.